influential what they were makes no difference to me god shows no partiality those i say who seemed influential added nothing to me on the contrary when they saw that i had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised for he who works through peter for the for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentiles and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to be circumcised. This is God's word. All right. Thank you, Fiona. That was great. Glad to have a seat. If you haven't yet, let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray, please. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, how we thank you for uh, the opportunity to meet in these, uh, I don't know, distanced ways, both digitally and in person. Um, God, I pray that we would be able to hear from you today. I pray that there would be an air of encouragement, an air of hope that is spoken today, God. I, I pray ultimately that, that I would be um, ultimately de- decreasing as your vessel, and that your goodness, your character, all that you are would, would be magnified uh, through these words. Um, and I pray for every single person hearing it, those in person, those out of person, even those who might listen to this like two weeks from now. Like I pray for all of us that we would hear what you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. All right, team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off the script, and I'm just going to break in honesty with you as I pause for water dramatically. This week was, like, super, super, like, just, like, kind of stressful for me. Had a lot on my plate. Um, time management was not on my side this week. I'm just going to say, time management was not on my side this week. And as much as I would say that, like, I feel like this is just, like, this, like, polished home run of a sermon, I'm going to say I'm not feeling, like, 100 about it. Like, on a scale of 1 to 100, maybe, like, 65. So I know that it's still scripture. It's not heresy. So I'm hoping that there's still something wonderful that you guys are able to glean from it. But I just want to be 100% honest that, like, this is not me at my, at my final form, as Frieza from Dragon Ball Z would say. So uh, with that in mind, let's just uh, let's jump into this. So I do want to start off by jumping into the context here of this passage. Because um, that's, that's kind of where we, we have to catch up to kind of get into the mind of where we're at. The passage that Fiona read for us... Um, was a passage, as we said, from chapter 2 of Galatians. Galatians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. Most of the New Testament is kind of filled with these letters that various uh, figures, mostly Paul, were writing to these churches. And there are a number of reasons these letters are being written, a lot of them, you know, being encouragement, being conviction, being correction, and you know, a lot of these things just became like very forming for the early church. And we're still seeing that today because it's part of our Bible. And so the book of Galatians starts off uh, with Paul introducing himself to try to confront a big issue that this church is facing at the time. 
That big issue is that the practice of circumcision, which was a very, very important action within the Old Testament, the law given to Israel, which was the mark of the covenant, they still felt like this was necessary for new believers, especially those who weren't Jewish, because more likely than not, if they weren't raised Jewish, they weren't circumcised. And so Paul needs to correct this, because this is a very dangerous and unhealthy view of the gospel that shows a misunderstanding of how Jesus had fulfilled certain parts of the law. So Paul needs to communicate this truth by and large to the people and other things too. The problem is that the people in Galatia are not really picking up what Paul is putting down. A lot of them are criticizing him as a teacher. They're bringing up things about his past, saying, ah, he used to be this like terrible dude who would persecute Christians, which is true. And he's saying things like, oh, you're, you're, you're giving the Gentiles just this way to have this easy way out. And that's not actually what God wants from us. God said to get circumcised. We're telling them to get circumcised. Paul, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? That was their response to him. And so Paul is put in this position of needing to prove his authority. He needs to prove that he actually knows what he's talking about. But on top of that, that he has the authority to say what he needs to say. Now, as we mentioned earlier, Paul was not just your run-of-the-mill teacher, pastor, reverend, whatever. He was an apostle. An apostle is an important term, especially when we're reading through this book, because an apostle was a word given for somebody who had been sent out specifically by Jesus to teach the good news. As you can imagine, like the, the office of apostle, it does not exist anymore. Paul, I think you could argue that Paul was probably the last official apostle because they thought that if you were most correct by your closeness and affiliation to Jesus, then if you were an apostle, that means that the, the, the length of the, of the line was closest to where if you were an apostle directly sent out by Jesus, that means that your words had more authority. And so... Paul needs to argue like, hey, look, I'm not just some dude just showing up telling you guys what's going on. I am here sent by Jesus himself with the authority to say, you guys need to stop circumcising. You need to understand some things that you are clearly missing about the good news. And that was a very, very important thing. Paul needed to make it clear that his message was not from himself, but it was from Jesus, and they needed to accept it as such. So that kind of catches us up in the context of kind of where we're at in this specific passage. And now we're going to kind of springboard that into what our message is for us today. The question that I wanted to work through as I was um, kind of putting this sermon together was, what does it mean for us today to have leaders similar to the ones that we're talking about here in Galatians? And how are we as, you know, average church-going people to respond to said leaders? Because, um, I mean, shoot, if you guys were uh, kind of interested in Christian culture news, you probably heard about Ravi Zacharias a few weeks ago, just his tremendous fall from grace um, that all happened from reports after his passing. You know, this idea of leaders in Christendom, especially American Christendom, falling kind of comes up every six months or so. So it should 
be a worthwhile question to ask. What is our responsibility when it comes to submitting to church leaders? And what does that look like? That's the question I'd like to ask. I, um, I watched this movie the other night, uh, the 1992 version of Aladdin, the animated one, not the live action one. I think the animated one's a little better. Um, we actually watched it with youth group last night. And the intention was, if you guys ever been to one of our movie nights we've hosted here at the church, we obviously watch movies because we love movies and we think it's a beautiful art form, but also because like movies always tend to have this like theme and kind of message that they're pushing forward. And there's always something interesting about observing that, like trying to see like, what is this movie trying to tell me? And what of that is wonderful and I should like run with? And what of that is like sort of like maybe counter to what I believe in as a Christian? Aladdin was an incredible like, you know, opportunity to dive into that, especially with these like super inquisitive like teens who were just kind of going through this. And what, what got me the most was the story, was the, like the character arc of the character Genie. Amazing like Robin Williams performance, super like, you know, dynamic, super fun to watch. But his whole like arc was, I'm tired of masters. I'm tired of being told what to do by these people who have authority over me. I just want to be free. I want these things gone from my wrists. I just want to do my own thing. I want to fly across the world, be this crazy magician figure that I am, and not be told what to do. And so there was this like interesting theme in this like very clearly made-for-children movie that also had really, really rich biblical themes reinforced. But on the other hand, we had this idea of like, Free, like, like freedom equals great, uh, authority equals not great. Like that was kind of the idea that was pushed along. And I think that many of us as Americans, I think it's a very American cultural thing to just be kind of preconditioned into thinking like, you know, just because that guy up there is the boss doesn't mean he actually knows what he's talking about. Like, we have this, I mean, you know, it's, it's the first thing we learn from our history, right? Bunch of punks from overseas were being unfair, and we, you know, liberated ourselves. Liberation is, like, such a big part of, like, our identity as Americans. I think that's true on both sides of the political coin, honestly. And so, like, there's this natural kind of distrust of authority, which is an interesting thing to kind of digest when we're talking about what does it mean or what does it look like to have an authority within the church that is your pastor, reverend, whatever. And so natural distrust of authority can be problematic, but also when you think of the flip side of it, it can also be great, Because you think some authorities you really shouldn't submit to. Sometimes just being discerning and like really thinking critically about stuff keeps you from following someone who's going to take you off a cliff in some sense. So there's this weird like, do I I like really just dig into this naturally challenging to authority uh, intuition that I have? Or do I like maybe just submit without even questioning it. Like, where, where am I at? What am I supposed to do here? A lot of that was like my internal processing. And I think it gets even more complicated when we look at Christianity in America right now. Christian, Christian churches in our country are like 
It's like, it's like walking into a cafeteria. You've got everything you could possibly want. It's like just buffet lines of churches. In a weird sense, we're choosing churches the same way you would choose like a fitness center. Do I like the guy up front? Do I like the music they play? Do I like where they are on this right side of town? You know, it's like, it's very like, I get to pick and choose what's right. And some of that is great. Some of that is wonderful and a wonderful privilege we get to enjoy. But some of it is also like, it makes it very easy to just kind of not have to commit, never have to submit. And I don't know, it's, it's sticky. It wasn't like this when this book was written, you know? And so before I go into this, and I know I'm just throwing disclaimer after disclaimer out there, but I do need to say something because you have to say this before you talk about what it looks like to obey church authorities. And it's this, sometimes you're not supposed to, (laughs) sometimes you shouldn't. The Bible says this. The Bible talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible talks about false teachers. The Bible talks about all these types of people that you should not be following. Sometimes following the leader of your church is a bad idea because your church leader is not in tune with the gospel. I think that is a phenomenal reason to not follow your church leader if they are actually not teaching the gospel, representing the gospel, or like, like our boy Ravi, if he's just completely distorted in his own life that is antithetical to the gospel he claims to preach. Those are good reasons not to. Because pastoral abuse, using your pastoral authority to kind of manipulate and subdue and mistreat others, it happens. I think all of us could, if we haven't experienced it, we probably have heard of it. Or maybe you know someone personally who's gone through that. Spiritual abuse is a thing and it's common. I mean, the, the whole thing with the Catholic Church being able to cover up abuse for so many decades and decades was because they were able to manipulate the authority they held over their communities. So to just make a blanket statement and say, to all Christians everywhere, listen to the guy standing behind the pulpit, I can't do that. Like, it's not a biblical concept. There have to be checks that we provide. So let's keep thinking through this. The Bible does make a case, however, for responsible and caring spiritual leaders. We see them throughout the Bible. We see uh, Moses as the the great, you know, leader of the Israelites throughout the, the, you know, big part of their history. We see Joshua as his predecessor. He did a pretty darn good job. We see the priests who were constantly advocating and mediating on behalf of the people, providing the sacrifices that, you know, was, were, were beneficial for them during that time, obeying the law. We see the prophets, especially in times of exile, ple- pleading with his people, pleading with God's people, say, like asking them to repent and to return, like caring for them in that way. All of these individuals being sent out to shepherd the well-being of God's people. And what's interesting is that despite all of the great successes of the people that I mentioned, they were all failures except for one. And that one was Jesus. And what I think is incredible too is that Jesus did not exert his leadership over the people as this like iron fist 
pounding like tyrants, but he was one who established this ideal of servant leadership. He would lead, but he would lead through serving. He could speak with authority. He could speak with that gusto that only the son of God could truly speak. But he also did so. And the culmination of his ministry and the culmination of him serving his people was to pour his life out. It wasn't to throw a hammer at a bunch of the bad guys. It was that he would lay his life down. And so when we're looking for a spiritual leader that we should be following, we want to see someone who is going to shepherd our well-being as the people of God. We also want someone who's going to reinforce and, and, and bring up the goodness of the gospel. But in the, in the practice, in the practical end of it, we do want someone who is not just speaking great things, but in their lives, they are pouring themselves out for their people for the glory of the good news. I mean, the funny thing is, I think a lot of us, again, uh, at least uh, people like myself with this like, kind of like distrustful, awkward, like, ugh, leaders are just going to burn me. I feel weird about it. Like, that's how I feel sometimes. Sometimes we think that like the leaders in our lives, especially the spiritual leaders, are just these dudes with these massive, incredible egos who just love the idea of standing in front of a group of people and speaking authoritatively. I recognize the irony that I'm saying that right now. But the, the, the sad truth, maybe not the sad truth, the intentional truth is that when we look at scripture, God actually says that these people who are standing with this spiritual authority are actually going to get worse judgment. They're not, they're not the teacher's pets who get to sneak in through the door without having to pay the, pay the fee. They're actually going to get judged more harshly because they had more things to steward. They had to take care of not just their own souls, not just their own well-beings, but everyone who listens to them. There's an air of responsibility that authorities have, and God will hold them to that. Like it literally says in James 3.1, he's like, you, you shouldn't try to be a teacher. Like if you can get away with not doing that, you probably should just go for it. Because those who do have to do that stuff, let's just say that the, the grading curve is going to go up for them, not down. It's going to be more difficult. I mean, shoot, I look at the example of Moses, right? Like Moses had to deal with, I don't know, how many Israelites were there? Probably at least a few thousand. Some other estimates say like hundreds of thousands. He's one dude with no megaphone dealing with the grumbliest group of people just, just day in and day out. And he can't keep his anger together long enough and God bans him from the promised land. Why? Because he disobeyed God and he was a bad leader to his people. And he just got judged pretty hard for it. The goal of any spiritual leader, of any pastor, prophet, priest, maybe not priest, we've only got one of those and he did a pretty good job. The goal of any leader is, is like this term, I, I like recalibration. It's a longer word than I'd like to use, but I feel like it just hits it so well. I just see like all of us as Christians as like just constantly guided by this internal compass that just follows everything we do, every word that we say, every thought of our hearts. And throughout our week, we're interacting with so many things 
and we're struggling through so many things and we're experiencing so many triumphs, but so many defeats and so much suffering and so much prosperity. And through the end of the week, this little internal compass has gone so many different ways that we need someone to just take it and just make it, just, just put that straight line there. Just say, hey, this is where the gospel is. This is what the gospel is calling you into. We got to make sure we keep this line straight. Like that is, I think, the purpose of any good spiritual leader or, you know, I, I don't really like using a gun analogy. That sounds like violence, but I imagine if your gun was not calibrated, you'd be missing a bunch of stuff, probably shooting the wrong people. I don't know. I don't shoot guns, but maybe that's probably the thing. So if you're like a sniper, I don't even want to get into that. It's violence. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. But we're going to go with the compass. We're going to go with the compass. I'm just saying, if I was like sailing to like Australia where there's a whole lot of ocean, oh, now I'm in geography. This is a terrible idea. Um, and my compass gets like swayed. I'm probably going to end up in like the Philippines or something. And that's not the same. That's what happened to uh, Columbus, right? I'm off my notes. I'm going to go back. Um, <laughs> the central verse, <laughs> the central verse I want to look at here is Hebrews 13, 7, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I love that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, that's kind of a big task. Why, though? Because they are keeping watch over your souls. That sounds like a lot of work. As those who will have to give an account. So it's like they're keeping watch over your souls. And if they do a bad job, they will answer to the most high. And he is not nice. Like that's, that's what this verse is. And I love this like second half of it. Let them do with this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. I just love that it's like, like, guys, they're, they're already keeping watch over your souls. Could you, like, l- let them enjoy it? Like, they don't, like, don't make them do it with groaning. It's of no advantage to you. Like, it's just like they're trying their best out here. Like, try, try to make it as easy for them as possible. Try, try to just be a little courteous. I love that verse, though. I think it really, I think, honestly, it's probably the whole sermon. I think it's everything that there is to say. Usually in my sermons, I like to do like a, like a three-point thing, like a boom, boom, boom. There's no, there's no three today. There's only a singular boom, singular point. And it's this, and it's actually the verse right after verse seven in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13. I'm gonna read it for us. So I'm gonna read seven and eight. Uh, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you. Oh, whoops. That's, oh, no. Oh, shoot. All right. Well, I don't know where it is. So this is so frustrating. Um, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then the next verse, Paul, or, um, the author of Hebrews says, pray for us. Like, pray for us. I mean, probably don't look at your Bibles. I got the numbers wrong. So I, I just, just trust me that I, that I didn't pull this from the Quran. But... Uh, <laughs> The author of Hebrews is saying, like, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
They're keeping watch over your souls. They will have to give an account for how well that they do, but please pray for us. 17 and 18. Good man. Thank you, Corbin. All right, we'll go there now. You guys can pull out your Bibles again. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as, they, as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this. I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is my one point. Pray for your pastors. That's it. Pray for your pastors, please. Like with the same like, like pleading of the author of Hebrews, pray, pray for your pastors, please. I know, like, I, I remember a time when I was uh, 19 and I, I, I discovered the, the celebrity preachers of the internet and I was listening to more, like the, like the word of certain pastors meant more to me than the one that I was going to every Sunday. The one who was praying for me by name, the one who, if I called on, would have been there for me, but I, I would listen to this other guy because I liked how he talked. Like, I know there's a bias here for me personally, because obviously like I'm, I'm present with our pastors. I'm present with Andy and with Nick and with Mike, and I'm here for the conversations that we have. And I can just say that like, we are trying. <laughs> like, we are trying to recalibrate our hearts. Our hearts as leaders, and then your hearts as our, our, our people, our friends, our community, our family. We're doing so because we love you. We're doing so because we love our community. We love Tucson. We love our families and we love your families. We love the unbelievers in your life that you're praying for. And we love all those we've never met. Like we are trying our best out here. And this year was not easy for us. We are, this year was, was, was full of difficulty. There, was, there, there were lot, there was lots of conflict. And I'm not saying that conflict is bad. There's nothing wrong with conflict. Matthew 18 makes it clear. If you've got a problem, talk to them. It's not wrong to have conflict. I, I'm asking, I'm, I'm pleading that you would pray for your pastors, not because we're doing a great job and we just need an extra jolt of energy. I need you to pray for us because we're struggling sometimes. I remember when I, I first started going to church and the, the church I was going to, I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but the pastor just seemed so like, 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 like superhuman. He was like, he was like a superhero, you know? You didn't think this guy had problems because he spoke with so much authority when he opened up the Bible. And you just thought, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. He has never looked at a lady. He has never yelled at his wife. He has never done anything wrong. This guy is almost unrelatable to me. I just need like, like, like everyone to understand that just as Paul was able to say, hey, I'm the chief of sinners and I'm going to write half the Bible. Like we, all of us, we, we, your pastors, even if you don't even go to this church and you're just visiting and thinking of some other pastor that's actually your pastor, pray for them. 
Like they need that encouragement. They need that strength. And, and this is, it's a biblical, biblical idea. So yeah, as I was thinking through this sermon, I thought of how uh, whenever God calls on one party to submit to another, there's like a greater responsibility on the submitted to party to do their job. I always think that's interesting because it's like, you know, uh, you can tell a child to submit to its parents, but those parents now have a greater responsibility to be good parents because the child needs to submit to them. And so that fits with what we were talking about, how the idea of submitting to leadership puts more of a burden on leadership to do their jobs. And then I thought of how interesting it was that God is able to call us to submit so fully to him because there's no chance he's going to drop the ball. Like, just what an incredible thing. It's like, if you tell a, a, a child to submit to a parent, that parent's got to try extra hard, don't drop the ball, you can't lose this. But when God calls everyone from the people to the rocks to worship him, he knows he can do that confidently because he's not going to miss. He can juggle every plate in the air one hand, blindfold, not a single one's going to touch the ground. That's crazy to me. Following leaders is hard. It can be especially hard if we've experienced times where just the idea of someone else having an authority over our lives is intimidating because we've been burned before, right? I mean, mission's only a few years old. So, I mean, I, I know that I came here from a different church. I've had churches where I've had painful experiences. I think some of us have too. The idea of being led by someone can be daunting because you're afraid. Whenever you think of being led, you think of the wounds that you experienced before. I mean, shoot, that's, that's not pastor and churchgoer. That's everything. That's relationships, that's friendships, that's jobs, that's everything. You're always going to levy the, the, the endeavor that you have in front of you with the experiences you've had in the past, especially if they were really, really painful. But the promise that God gives to us is that even as we're like wading through these like murky, ugly swamps, even as we feel like the weight and the burden of the failures of others, but also the failures of ourselves on our shoulders, crushing us into tiny little dust, that he will always be with us. And he is also pointing us to a time, oof, he is also pointing us to a time when every father and mother, son and daughter, every leader and every follower, every pastor will finally hang up their coats and rest and just sit under the presence of our perfect and our loving shepherd. When all the work of leading and being led, of, of relating, of working, all of the struggle that we experience together would just be different. Because again, I, I say this all the time, when we think of the gospel stopping when I said, all right, Jesus, you're the boss. Boom, gospel. Like the gospel, I said this before, 
is not just what we see from Jesus in John 3, for God so loved the world, dot, dot, dot. The gospel is what we see from Jesus in Revelations 22, which is the new heaven and new earth. Every tear wiped away. Lions laying down with lambs. No more violence, no more pain, no more heartache, no more suffering, no more sin. How amazing, no more sin. And then, like, that's what we can look forward to. And so even as the struggle is lousy, there's still a promise for something better ahead of us. I, uh, if you guys know my music tastes at all, I mostly listen to violent hip-hop music and Hank Williams, who is a 1950s country artist who I love with all my heart and soul. He has a song called Cool Water, which is just like, it's just like this bummy song with like terrible audio. It's like two chords, just guitar, no other instruments. And it's him singing mostly to his horse. And it's him on a horse in the middle of a vast desert and they're dying because there's no water. And they're just talking about how much they wished there was water so that they wouldn't die. And the last verse, the last like couple lines of it, um, the... Uh, the, the singer, the main, the main character, is speaking to his horse, and he says, like me, I guess, he'd like to rest where there is no quest for water. And so the whole thing is like, is like we're, we're struggling, and we're thirsty, and we're tired, and we're hungry, but we believe that there's a time when we won't have to struggle for this stuff anymore. So we, we believe that. As Christians, we believe that. That's part of, our, of, our, of what God has given us, what God has promised to us. So let's rest on that as we finish. Um, okay, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna go into uh, a couple more things as we kind of like tie together this liturgy idea that we opened with. Uh, the first is confession. Confession gives us this great opportunity to kind of like take everything that God just kind of like, I don't know, God went like this, boom, and then all the dust kind of flurried up. This gives us an opportunity to kind of like assess and analyze all the dust particles that God just popped up and to think, okay, I, I need to chat with God about this. So we're going to give you two minutes to do that, to confess, and then we'll have an opportunity to respond in thanksgiving afterwards. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to leave two minutes for us. Uh, so just have complete silence to do our own things, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. Heavenly Father, um, we, uh, we, we thank you for leaders. We thank you for leaders who, um, who are fighting that good fight, not just on their own behalf, but for ours as well. Um, God, I pray that I would continue to be just like moved in that direction as I would seek to serve you and love to do that. Um, God, I, well, whatever it is that, that you're speaking to us right now, whatever it is, whatever like things that you're kind of poking us in, may, maybe God, you're, you're showing us some of the, of the pains of the past that we're not trusting you to walk through. Um, maybe you're, you're showing us that we, we haven't dealt with conflict um, very well or even, even with like disagreements very well. Um, Whatever that is, I pray that you would give us two minutes of, of silence, God. Even if we're at home, even if we've got, even if, you know, the, 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 the tea kettle's going off and maybe a baby's crying, I pray that you would give us like two minutes um, to just like have this moment of pause, even if it's not right now, because you, you should get a crying baby if it's crying. Um, but Lord, I just pray for this, uh, this pause, this silence in our hearts, please, Father.